May grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today is the eighth Sunday in Trinity, and it also doubles as a day of farewell and Godspeed to our sister Colleen Mormon as she prepares to enter retirement. The text for our meditation this morning are the words of our Lord as captured for us in St. Matthew's Gospel, which we heard just a few moments ago. We hear again those words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As always, we proceed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, dear friends in Christ, harsh words from our Lord Jesus in our text this morning, right? A lot of people are going to be shocked, maybe even surprised, on the last day, according to my text. It sounds as if Jesus is saying that even though some people think they've been doing awesome, in the end, they're going to be greeted with, I never knew you. Harsh. And even worse, they'll be branded as workers of lawlessness to boot. Strong language this morning indeed, dear friends. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here Jesus is asking us not only for faith, and we've got to define it here, what he's saying, not faith in a merely academic or intellectual sense, or for that matter, a speaking, a shouting, a proclaiming of mighty words, making a great grandiose outward show of faith, or anything really that the worldly powers would call power and dynamics, even in his name. Instead, Jesus is asking us for us to do the will of his Father quite humbly, sometimes quite steadily, over a slow grind of many years, oftentimes not getting recognition. We think of the servants among us that are great examples of that. In particular, we think of Colleen Mormon on this day as she prepares to retire in her many years of humble service to our Lord, the opposite of what Jesus is calling out this morning, a great example for us. So we have a very common question before us today. How many times have we asked, what does it mean to actually do the will of God? This one makes me think of my ministry to my soldiers on drill weekend in the guard. I get asked that from soldiers, Christian soldiers oftentimes, new to the faith sometimes. I'm having a hard time, sir. I'm just trying to ascertain God's will for my life. What do I do now? And it's always a question that we always ask, never stop asking. To help us understand, though, the scriptures before us today, illustrate what's being rejected by our Lord in these powerful words. Things that are not the will of God. So let's start by understanding what the will of God is not before we turn to what it is for our lives. We might find some of these items surprising. We might see some things that we usually think of as being part and parcel of not just doing God's will, but really by doing God's will like a pro like a boss, as they like to say, right? 
we see some activities listed by Jesus that we think don't just fulfill God's will, but they fulfill God's will exceptionally and exceedingly so. Prophesying in the Lord's name. Casting out demons in the Lord's name. Doing great deeds of power, signs and wonders in the Lord's name. Wow. These are things that Jesus does. With regard to these, Jesus says that all those who take advantage of his name without obeying the will of the Father will be cast away. I never knew you. In chaplain school, we used to talk about that's almost akin to seeing Jesus' name as the send button on the email. In Jesus' name. Whatever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What a terrifying statement, though for us today. Even 2,000 years on, maybe even more so 2,000 years on, as we behold the widespread exploitation, misuse, and the fraud in his name among us, not just out in the secular world, but among us in the church as well. We see this misuse of the Lord's name come from all directions, right field, left field, center field, it doesn't matter. Anywhere in our modern Christian setting, flimsy, Postmodern social gospel from the progressive wing of the church hailed as justice in his name. Apocalyptic doomsday conspiracies proclaimed from the conservative side of the house with a dash of turn or burn thrown in to scare people in his name. Name it, claim it, prosperity theology marketed by the charismatics among us in his name. All of these and more, sowing the seeds of conflict, of discord, of fear and loathing. What's going on here? Well, first, before we go any further, I need to pump the brakes a little bit. Well, I've got to back up and look at context. We really need to read the whole of Matthew 7 to understand kind of the greater setting and context of this discourse. Back to basics, if you will. No fancy slam dunks or layups. Chess passes, basic dribbling, okay? Back to basics. Some of the themes that we see in Jesus' core teaching emerge when we look at these passages elsewhere in Matthew 7. We have practical applications of doing the Gospels, being doer of the Word, and they're directed toward doing good to others, not to ingratiate ourselves. We're not to judge others, he teaches. We're not to pass over and ignore our own sin. Log out of eye before speck out of eye. Remember that passage? Take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of the eye of others. We're to believe, trust in God's goodness to us. We're to feed our children with love, to share what's good with them. And a big one from our passage today, the last one we're left with, and you can also recognize it from our Old Testament lesson as well this morning, if you catch that uh, from the prophet Jeremiah. We're to bear good fruit, dear friends in Christ. This one's critical. Why is that one so critical? Critical for me and you, absolutely, but also critical, as we're told, tellingly, from the Old Testament lesson as well as the New Testament today. The false prophets are recognized by what? They're recognized by the quality of their fruit, the bad quality of their fruit, okay? The rottenness of it, what they bear. What could that bearing a bad fruit be? Certainly it could be being enamored with prosperity and with money 
Things like fame and ambition and careerism could all do that. It could be making a false god out of just about anything, particularly power and being dynamic. And it can be even more uh, hard to detect than that. It can be confusing faith with civil religion and civil righteousness. All of that's on the table, dear friends in Christ, and we're not just here to cast stones at others. We have to look at ourselves as well, either individually or collectively, and how do we also fit that bill. All we have to do is to monitor our airwaves, TV, Internet, YouTube, any sources, social media, for one to see that false prophets are not only numerous but seem to be proliferating among us. All who always think that they're doing these things, speaking, taking mighty actions, oftentimes touting great signs and wonders, always how? Hit that sin in Jesus' name, always in his name. To that, Jesus cautions with the words, I never knew you, Jesus says. That still doesn't quite sound like Jesus, right? When we think about the rest of the gospel, shooting people who prophesy in Jesus' name and cast out demons in Jesus' name, be pleasing to God? What does this say to us about the things in our lives? How does it speak to our situation? Could we also then be in danger of being rejected when we say, Lord, Lord, but don't live the word according to the way that he would have us live? That might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, make us shift around in our chair a little bit. But there's a lot more to these verses in Matthew than Jesus just giving somebody this harsh news. These verses are just short and a bit much longer lesson and what Jesus is teaching his listeners. Unless we take a look the whole teaching at the whole teaching, we're going to miss a lot this morning, dear friends. This section comes right after at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching the well-known Beatitudes, which we pass over a lot of times. The blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the righteous. Sometimes we tend to stop there. But we actually keep on teach, he actually keeps on teaching and give, gives us more teaching for three more chapters. If we read through chapters 5, 6, and 7, we hear Jesus getting even more specific. He tells his followers that they are to be the salt of the earth and a light to the world. He reminds them about the commandments, that they should love others as they love themselves. And this love includes even their enemies, which we've heard hundreds of times and take for granted, but was a radical concept to their ears. You were to take, uh, have mercy and show goodness to your friends and neighbors, those of the same uh, ethnic group and the same culture, but your enemies were fair game. This is radical stuff. Jesus also talks about not making a big deal and showing off your praying or your fasting. But he also, Jesus consoles them by telling them not to worry during this same discourse because God loves us much more and cares much more for us than he cares for anything and all of his creation. He goes on to say that if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, to those of your household, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who seek him? All about those who seek God's will. In these several chapters of Matthew, we hear Jesus being a teacher at his utmost, his core modality of being that rabbi, that teacher. He puts forth the Beatitudes. And yes, they're easy to remember and to recite, but harder when we think about how they're applied 
harder to live. He gives them specifics of how they should live. He gives them the words that we know is the Lord's Prayer. And he shows them the unconditional love of God our Father. So why then, after all of this, does he say, some of you will hear me say, I don't know you? That tough question. He says this because even after all his teaching and after all the things that he does, some still don't believe. We talked about it in adult Bible study this morning and in a little more detail when we were gathered together, talking about those who see and behold these great signs and wonders and yet don't believe. Those taunting Jesus in Mark 15, from the cross, bring yourself down, then we'll believe. Hard hearts, not believing. Seeing great signs and wonders, even the casting out of demons, not enough for them and not the same thing as faith. Tough to think about. People who actually saw Jesus, heard his teaching firsthand, a stone's throw away from him for three years in his earthly ministry. What's the matter with them, we might ask ourselves, when we read Mark 15 as we did in adult Bible study, or we read other passages. We might be tempted to fool ourselves. Well, if it was me, it would be different. I would have believed. It's popular in our cultures right now. I'd be on the right side of history if I went back. I'd get it right. Look at all these people that failed. Hindsight, 2020, all that, right, guys? Maybe not. I certainly would have believed everything Jesus told me. Well, many did not that were right there, dear friends in Christ. Why? Why is this important? It's because they're humans just like us. Isn't it true that even some folks among us today that ought to know better, that have been exposed to the truth of the gospel, can still seem incredibly dense and oblivious? Maybe it's us. Maybe we're so self-absorbed that we see very little around us. We're so focused on reading about people who are like that in the scriptures. Most oftentimes, it's easy to cast stones at those Pharisees, the scribes, those characters in the Bible who play the bad guys. Oh, yeah, like them. But if we back up, we forget that many of them believed. We forget that sometimes. We forget that many of them that didn't believe were just humans like us. They're certainly not the only ones. Dear friends in Christ, today's gospel is a reminder that we can't get away with appearing to do good and kind of pick and choose who it is that we do our good deeds for. We can't do that. Love thy neighbor, Jesus teaches. And those in the audience ask, well, who's my neighbor? Let me get technical with you. Why? So, hey, if that doesn't, not my neighbor, I don't have to care for them or do my good deeds for them. That's human to do that. We see that all over the gospels. Jesus says over and over again that all we have to do is to hear his words and to act on them, to live his words, to hear and believe, to hear and obey, to even be more subconscious than that. This is vine and branches stuff, to be grafted into him, that part of that divine organism. As he's preaching in our text today, his audience already knows what they're supposed to do. Jesus isn't giving them a whole new set of rules to live by. He's not being radical. He's already reminded them at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that he didn't come to abolish the laws that they already had, but to fulfill them. And of course, backing up to adult Bible study, if you were there, we call that his active obedience. Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly that we could not fulfill ourselves. So we know what to do. It's just hard to do it all the time. For a lifetime, where so much temptation is there all around us, dear friends in Christ. Hearing the word, hearing what Jesus says to us isn't something we do once and then check off our list. We have a hard time 
with the habitual nature of it. We're not just to hear the word, but to rehear the gospel, to rehear it again and again and again. We're not just to read the scriptures one time, we're to reread them, whether it's here at church and Bible study in our own personal devotions. Reread the word again and again and again. We're not just to pray once or at infrequent times, but to repray again and again and again and again. It's okay to repray the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. It's meant to be utilized that way. We keep listening all our lives. We keep learning more and more about how God would have us to live because He loves us. Dear friends, we've been baptized into our Lord Jesus. That means we're baptized into His death and into His rising again. We talked about it in the whole Bible study, the great exchange. He's been debited with our sins and our evils to his account. We've been credited with his righteousness. That's an amazing deal. You can't beat that. We also are baptized into that perfect life, his act of obedience. And that means to the Father's will. Being grafted into him, we don't have to have a thinking session, a brainstorming session about what the will of God is. Grafted into Christ, we are in his will. What Jesus is telling us today is that we need to be faithful, to be content, to be mindful, that we need to examine our motives, our wills, because they can always go squirrely and always go wrong. And that we pray the prayer that even Jesus wasn't above prayer, praying, not my will, but yours, Father. We pray that we are aligned with his will and that our motives conform to the image that we've been grafted into and are being grafted into and the life that God has called us to live in service to him and to one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.